a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move. Down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 144 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guys say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster and owner of Game Time Media in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and ways to improve in the sportscasting business by talking to different sportscasters from all over the country and beyond and at all different levels of the business. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app, and please share the podcast with your friends on your favorite social media outlet. This episode is being recorded today from the almost world-famous Say the Damn Score studio in the basement of my townhome in Burnsville, Minnesota. And it's been a very slow uh, last couple weeks on the broadcasting front, and really that's how I design it to be this time of year. I went on a couple a short four-day weekend-type family vacations. We visited both sides of the family, and I've just been working on sales, trying to find sponsors to start for the fall for Game Time Media, my streaming business. And I've been working hard on hiring broadcasters for that fall season uh, with some of the expansion that I've had from last year. And everything is going really well. I don't have anything to complain or anything to lament about with the current state of affairs. I will mention that if anybody listening to this happens to be a Twin Cities area listener who also is looking for some freelance broadcast work, I am looking to hire some fill-in broadcasters and feel free to reach out to me uh, via Twitter at radio underscore Logan or you can email me at Logan at GameTime mn.com as again i'm looking to add to my team for the fall and if you think you might be a good fit i'd love to hear your stuff this week's guest is jack benjamin he's the radio voice of nichols university in thibodeau louisiana he's a rapid riser in the industry who's already called a florida versus alabama college football game on westwood one uh, he's had numerous ESPN Plus and ESPN3 gigs, and he even covered the Olympics in the last summer games uh, remotely from Connecticut. So he's had a lot going on. He's still under 30. And Jack, thanks so much for coming on the show. And how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Logan. I appreciate you having me on. I know it's been a Long time coming here, man. So I'm, I'm happy to do it. And, uh, you've had a couple of, couple of my good friends on recently. So this is a, this is an honor for sure. Big fan of the show. Well, we were able to connect at uh, the National Sports Media Association in a uh, meeting in North Carolina. And we think it was 2018. It could have been 2019, I guess, but I don't remember for certain, but, um, I know we talked and afterwards you sent tape. And usually when I get tape from people who are pretty recently out of college, it's like, oh, it's probably going to be pretty good if somebody is ambitious enough to be at this event. Uh, I think yours is one of only two or three people that I went 
I don't know what to do with this. This is way better than mine, and I can't really hear anything wrong. So, like, I think I'm going to, like, dig really deep and try to find something so I can be useful. But um, you were really good at that point, and the fact that you're getting some of these uh, big freelance opportunities is not a surprise. Hey, I, I appreciate that for sure. You're uh, you're not too shabby yourself as a broadcaster. There's a reason why you've had a lot of success too. I I've been very fortunate. Um, I, I I turned 26 in March, and and obviously been very lucky to get some of the opportunities I have. And I tell a lot of people it's uh, this business is a grind, and obviously you know we're all, especially kind of my generation, being patient is very hard. So even with the stuff I've gotten, I'm always thinking that, hey, maybe I should be getting this or should be getting that. But but I've been really fortunate to get some of the opportunities I have at my age, and um, I'm always trying to figure out ways to get better. And I've been really lucky to have people like you who have taken the time to talk to me about the business and figure out what I can do to get better and, and what I have to do to, I guess, excel and try to succeed and move my way up. And I, I really like that part of the craft of it, not just the fundamental side of doing play-by-play, but figuring out going from point A to point B because there are a million different steps you can take to, to get from place to place. So uh, talking to someone like you, and I've had a lot of really good mentors in my corner, and that's been a big reason why I'm, I'm at where I am today. Yeah, your references include uh, – they don't actually include me. You certainly could. It'd be like Logan Anderson, Marv Albert, Kevin Harlan. I wonder who's going to get the call. But you mentioned something interesting you know, the one thing that everybody tells everybody in sports casting is don't compare yourself to what other people are getting. That is the one thing that is basically impossible for anyone who gets into this to do. As someone who's gotten some opportunities early, it still doesn't mean you can't be frustrated. What are some of the times that you've had to kind of say, hey, you know what, slow down, things are pretty good? Yeah, I, I I think it's a good point. There have been I, I'm sure there have been multiple times where I've kind of felt that way. I, I think that the the biggest thing in this industry, more so than when you get something, is you know the times that you don't and handling it the right way and, and kind of taking a step back and thinking about all you've done. This this is a small example, but you know the Olympics to to get that last summer was obviously incredible. It's the highlight of my career to this point, and it was an unbelievable experience. And because of the nature of COVID, as you know, Logan, they did the 2020 Tokyo Olympics in 2021. Five, six months later, they're in Beijing doing the Winter Olympics. And so, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, well, the Winter Olympics, there's half as many people that are involved. So it's going to be hard to get that. And that's something that I knew right away. And I figured, okay, well, I, I thought I did a decent job, got some good feedback from producers from the Summer Olympics. Maybe I've got a chance. When that call didn't come from a producer to do the Winter Olympics, that was, you know, that that was a time where, yeah, was I disappointed a little bit? Sure. But I also had to take a step back and say, okay, you did the, <laughs> you got the Summer Olympics, which is an unbelievable accomplishment. I, if I had done one in my life, I'd, I'd be satisfied with it. And, and to get that at, you know, age 25 was obviously unbelievable. And then to not get the winner, it's just taking a step back and appreciating doing the summer and thinking about what's on the horizon. And you got Paris a few years after that for the Summer Olympics. I just think it's it's putting in perspective the things you have done. Um, I, I know, I know too, like, you know, you mentioned that I've done a game for Westwood One. I did an Alabama, you know, Florida game, one of the biggest games early on in the season. And a week later, after calling a game in the swamp in front of 90,000 people, 
I'm back in Thibodeau doing a game. I I think we listed it as 4,000 fans. There could have been 1,000 people there. And all of a sudden, the, the crowd noise is a little different in the headset. It's all about, I think, just putting things in perspective and really appreciating it. It's so hard to appreciate it while you're in the moment calling a big game. And I know you've had great opportunities to fill in places and, and do big games as well. And I just think taking a step back constantly, appreciating where you are. I think every time I, I go back and start cutting up reels and thinking about my tape, I, I really that's really where it starts to sit in like, wow, I, I've, I've been able to do some good stuff. And then I'm back to the grind and figuring out what where can I get better and what opportunities are on the horizon. But I think it's important for people to be able to take a step back and, and appreciate what you have done and then how you can grow and then find that next opportunity. So you grew up, and I, I don't know how this is pronounced. Is it Armonk? Armonk? That's, that's right, Armonk, New York. Armonk, New York. A lot of people would think, you know what, sportscasters had early success uh, north of New York City, probably went to Syracuse. No. You <laughs> went about as far from Syracuse as you can possibly go. You went to Santa Clara University in California. Uh, what was behind that decision? Yeah, I, the First off, I didn't know I wanted to do this. So when people ask me about, well, now knowing what you know now, would you have considered Syracuse? Of course. There's no question about it. I had no idea I wanted to kind of go this route. I think from from the perspective of me getting out to California for college, kind of the main backstory behind even considering it, my mom when um she she so my my mom and my dad first off are both New Yorkers, born and raised. They um they both stayed on the East Coast for college. My dad went to Dartmouth. My mom went to Amherst. Um, my dad ended up going to law school at Columbia. So they they've both been kind of in that New York area their whole life. My mom, after she graduated from college, her first job was out in California, in the Bay Area in San Francisco. So she has a lot of family friends out there. I've got a, a set of cousins who are out there. So we grew up when I was little. I feel like it, it must have been at least a week every year we would get out to San Francisco at some point and. When you go out to San Francisco or you go out to California, there's a lot of people I think who will attest to this. It's pretty easy to fall in love with that area if you spend enough time out there as a young kid, especially when it's snowing and I can't, you know, move my feet two inches without my toes freezing in New York. And then I go fly out to the West Coast and I'm like, wow, this is pretty nice having, you know, uh, warm weather in January or February, whatever it is. So I, I fell in love, I think, with California at a pretty early age and just having the amount of family friends we did out there. We also had family friends out in San Diego. So I spent some time in Southern California and Los Angeles, but mainly in San Francisco and just kind of fell in love with that area. And when it came time, as far as choosing colleges um, and I had had a little bit of journalism experience in high school. I don't want to say I had any, I I didn't have any because I actually did have, I think I took a journalism class my senior year in high school. We, We didn't have any kind of broadcast program or anything, but I think I wrote a couple of sports articles and, um, actually, that summer, I interned with this guy who ran um, MSG Varsity. His name's Kevin Devaney. And people will, uh, people in my area in Westchester, New York, will, uh, which is a suburb outside New York City, they'll still know, know who he is. He's the king of high school sports in that, that metropolitan kind of New York area. Um, I interned with him, just shadowing him at, at camps and stuff for football. And uh, I called, I think I called a couple of soccer games for him maybe but that wasn't really something I had I'd really heavily considered um in a college and we actually had a family friend who went to Santa Clara she's she's from New York and um ended up going out there and because of that we had known of the school I was basically sold on for college I was going somewhere warm I had enough of the cold weather <laughs> it was either the south 
or the West Coast. Basically, it came down to, yeah, I went to the Santa Clara campus. It seemed nice. Bay Area. I was a fan of it. And, um, yeah, just I, I went to a small private school my final couple of years of high school. I wanted to kind of a small size. I didn't really think about the D1 lack of a football team there or a lack of a competitive basketball team that hadn't been to the NCAA tournament since Steve Nash was there in 1996. I just thought it was a cool campus and hopped on board, and uh, there we went. So I read that they didn't really have a radio program there, at least for sports, but basically you just kept calling people until somebody created one. How did that go? Yeah, that that somebody was me. <laughs> so so they didn't. You're right. They didn't have a uh, they didn't have a broadcast program. When I basically when I took the first tour, I, I would have been. And my my mom could probably confirm this, but when I first saw the campus, I want to say it was late junior year, and I went there and I remember asking them if they had anything related to sports journalism or broadcasting or something. And I, and I think a couple professors had said, oh, yeah, we have we have people involved with that. And I think one of them might have even mentioned that they have students calling games, which obviously wasn't true. Um, but I went by and I saw their campus radio station and I asked them if they do any sports content. I don't know. I just figured I'd ask the question about it. I hadn't really considered it at the time. And they said that they did, which wasn't true either. And um, so, yeah, I got to campus and there wasn't really a, a you know, I, I arrived there and kind of when I first arrived, there wasn't a major thought about whether I need to get involved with student radio and calling games and stuff. But, the, yeah, they didn't have a broadcast program there. And ultimately, kind of the, the, the story is that I actually built the, pro, built, the, built the program from scratch. They had a student radio station, KSCU 103.3. Its reach is like any student station. You you can't go very far off campus before you can't get it anymore. But they're on the TuneIn app, so my parents ultimately could listen to it. I didn't actually call a game, Logan, on the radio station until it would have been November of 2016. So that was my junior year. So it took ultimately basically like two and a half full years before I actually called a game on the student station. But basically the the, the story goes in terms of my intro to just thinking about it was – and, and kind of play by play, I was taking a, um, I think it was a, a sports and communication class or, um, it was, it was some kind of, cl- it was a class related to video and sports and broadcasting. It was, it was basically like a one day a week elective. And one of our first assignments was to basically, you know, cover a sporting event. So either do a, go there and interview a couple of athletes and write an article, um, go and, uh, take some pictures and and shoot some video. Do a report from the field, and I asked the professor, like, "Hey, could I could I call the game?" And he's like, "Yeah, no problem. I'll get you a I'll get you a stick on media pass." And um, so he gave me you know, one of those things. They write the date on it, they put my name on it, whatever, and you know, I hand it to them at the door, and I go, and it's a it's a women's basketball game, and yeah, I mean, I, I sat down, I had. Uh, I had nothing in front of me except, you know, like at a game, they print at least division one games, they print out a roster sheet for you. That was the only thing in front of me. I didn't know how to, I didn't know any of this. this is the first time I've ever done a basketball game and like third time in my life doing play by play outside those two soccer games. And when I was in high school and um, yeah, the game starts and I'm five plays behind and uh, I got hooked on it right away though. And so at that point, then I started wondering Huh, I wonder why there aren't students you know, doing this for the student radio station. And that's kind of where the, the question becomes, well, why don't they have a, a broadcast program? And yeah, it ties back into um, 
the fact that I actually ultimately started the the broadcast program. What did you want to do coming out of high school before uh, you'd like, you know what? I think uh, broadcast sounds like the way to go. I wouldn't say I really had a thought about it. Honestly, you were it was going there that. to figure it out. Yeah, it was, it was sort of, I had an idea that sports was going to be involved. I had been a, I've been a huge sports fan my whole life. My dad was a, a sports nut and, and being a New Yorker, um, he was a, a die. I'd say that the, the New York football giants were his number one team. He's been at, and he's proud of this. He's been at all four Super Bowl wins. So four and oh, and four and oh, when he's there and oh, and oh, when he's not, or I guess oh, and one when he's not there because they got killed by the Ravens that one year where they didn't go. But, um, and I was fortunate enough to go with him to the, the win over the Patriots in 08. So that was, that was pretty amazing at Super Bowl 42. But he was a huge Giants fan, huge Yankee fan, huge Knicks fan. Knicks and Giants probably 1A, 1B for him. So yeah, I feel like you, you know, you adopt the teams that your parents like. And I was always a huge sports fan growing up. And so yeah, as it kind of got deeper into high school, I think I thought I wanted to do something related to sports. I was always a pretty good writer, but I'm not sure I ever had a major kind of interest in, in writing. But I did always love broadcasters. I remember I, I'd have like a lot of guys, and I'm it's crazy because I always think I'm, I talk to a lot of people and they just they tell me how young I am. I'm young enough though to still have had a one. I don't know if it was a true transistor radio. It's not one of those old school ones, but I had a rate. It wasn't a transistor radio, but it was a radio. And I had that thing under my pillow. And you can guarantee I had John Sterling on during those, you know, early 2000s Yankees runs to the playoffs. I remember, in fact, I remember the 04 ALCS, one of my brutal memories of all time. I was actually at game six and seven when the Red Sox came back to beat us. I'll be just, that'll, that'll kill me forever, but. All I all the time when growing up, I'd have you know I'd have the the radio under my bed, and um, I, I was spoiled with broadcasters in our area. You know, with with Mike Breen doing the Knicks on MSG, Bob Papa doing the Giants on radio. Uh, there were just so many good ones. I, I'm obviously a Knicks fan, but I'd listen to Iron Eagle call the Nets games all the time just to hear him. And I all the time would you know I was a big baseball player growing up. I was a big athlete growing up. Played uh, high school basketball, high school golf. I I was on uh, a travel baseball team up until I was in ninth grade, and I'd always be in my backyard doing the batting stances and announcing it, you know, like John Sterling or calling myself doing, you know, and muting the TV and calling the game by myself. I'd do that all the time, never thinking I wanted to do it ultimately. But um, I, I would say to answer your question, long story short, I knew I wanted to do something related to sports. I just didn't really know it was going to be broadcasting and then, you know, ultimately play by play. Basically, starting the broadcast program, you're probably not getting a lot of qualified guidance and uh, deep critiques of the reps that you're getting in that situation. But by the time I heard your stuff, I think probably a year, maybe two out of college, you were really polished. And some of that is going to have to do, obviously, with just pure natural ability. But what did you do to improve and get to the sound that you have? now and at that point so quickly we 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 talked we talked earlier about the the stick on media pass first of all that you know en- ended up getting me into games i had to be, before i could kind of you know build the program i had to you know find a way to get myself a little bit better and obviously you know an improvement was part of it and basically <laughs> with that with that one time stick on media pass 
I, you know, it's, it's literally what it's, it's, I'm not kidding when I say like a stick on media pass, we're not talking about a lanyard. I would take that pass. I, you know, left the name on, I, I white, I basically took white out and deleted the date from it. And I would sneak <laughs> back into every basketball game for the rest of the year. And I, I realized after that first game, I needed to find a way to be a little more prepared. So, you know, I, I started to print out rosters, print out a stat sheet. I was still terrible. But at least I kind of, you know, I was I was getting the, the consistent reps and I was sitting at a table. I must have done, I, I don't know, Logan, I probably did 20-something games that year for the women. And then the men's games were a little more crowded, although there weren't really, there aren't very many fans there except for the Gonzaga games. But um, basically, yeah, I just continued to sneak back in and improve a little bit. And uh, it's, it's funny. I it got to the point with the, with the stick on media pass, I think eventually either the SID, someone caught me one day, they were wondering what I'm doing there. And I'm like, Oh, I got a media pass. I showed it to them. <laughs> and she, and she just laughed at me in the face. She's like, yeah, this, this thing must be from two months ago. And sure enough, it was. But anyway, that's kind of how I got my start with, with calling the games. Once I had called the games, I figured, okay, well, there's a way that we got to get us onto the student station and that became a matter of trying to find a way to convince the athletic department to to basically do it. And I talked with the AD um, of the school. I talked with um, actually the, the guy who's still the radio voice at Santa Clara, and he's a good friend and good mentor of mine, Anthony Passarelli. He was actually calling the games at the time, and he would give me some advice. We actually had him on our student station. Uh, my I think it would have been my sophomore year. I was the board op. So I figured, okay – I've got to find a way to learn how this works. So I basically sat there board hopping for him. He let me do like a five minute halftime show where I'd read off the scores and that sort of thing. I do, I think a two minute pregame show before he came on for the pregame show, basically learn the fundamentals of how to work the board and that sort of thing. Um, there was, a, I had a couple of really good guys. They, they had nothing to do with sports broadcasting, but there were a couple of really good um, older, cl- you know, I guess uh, upperclassmen at the student station who taught me, you know, the, the ins and outs of radio broadcasting, how to work the board, how to play intros and outros, that sort of thing. The kind of knowledge that I could pass down to whoever I hire to be my board ops, that sort of thing, ultimately. So I learned that piece of it. And then it wasn't until, uh, this, I guess it would have been my summer of my sophomore year. And this is another story in itself, but I, I worked my first really kind of main play-by-play job. I was in Kalamazoo, Michigan in the Northwoods League. And um, I was with the Kalamazoo Growlers. The only reason I got the job is because the uh, the guy they hired, I think, quit like a week before the season. So I get a call probably, you know, I don't know, five days out from when the season's starting. I ultimately was a couple days late, as you can imagine. I had to find a way to get my car across the country. And they said, hey, if you're still interested, do, do you want to come down here? That was after applying for every Wood Bat League job in the country. I had people, and I had made up, you know, a tape based on my women's basketball games in Santa Clara. I can't tell you how many people called me felt like they were insulted that I had applied for their job. Like really, man, you got no baseball tape. This sounds like you're in a freaking closet. What, what are you doing? So I did that. I did that. I mean, it's a 72 game baseball season. I got a lot better that summer. And from there, you know, we had a, we had a full on mixer the way you do now. We were using broadcast headsets. I figured out what kind of equipment needed to be bought, that sort of thing. And then it came down to, convincing the athletic department again and just being being resilient with it and constant emails and phone calls and meetings. And I think ultimately uh, we had a meeting with our, our head SID there must've been, uh, it was I guess it probably would have been late September, early October of 2016, my, before my junior year. And 
finally convinced them to, to allow me to call games on the station. And then it was a matter of getting some students who were also eager to do this to help me out. And away we went. After graduation, eventually you ended up uh, back on the East Coast where you were uh, doing work for, I believe it was both Davidson and uh, Virginia women's basketball. Uh, take us, fill in the gap uh, between graduation and getting to that spot. Yeah, I feel like a, I feel like a big piece of it. And we were we were talking about this earlier about improvement and, and how do you go from a kid who had had basically no mentorship if you want if if you want to get built in at your school the way that a guy who you know someone who goes to a Syracuse or an Arizona State or a Ball State would how do you go from there to someone who understands the craft and the fundamentals and, and improvement? So I had I had a lot of really good mentors along the way who helped me out. Um, and getting to that point among them, uh, you mentioned earlier, Marv Albert, he was, uh, he was actually one of the earliest ones I had. That would have been, um, I want to say that probably would have been my sophomore year. How did you get connected with Marv? That was, uh, that was, that was through a family friend who happened to know him and happened to happen to have worked with him for a little while. And I got really lucky that he was willing to do it. A lot of, I mean, a lot of people like that who remember this is, I mean, at the time we're talking, 2015, 16. I mean, Marv still had another three, four years, I guess, at TNT. Um, so yeah, happened to be really lucky to, to get connected to him and he was willing to talk to me. And he, uh, the only thing that I was given was a, it was like a, a, a random phone number, basically like an office phone number where you got to dial, you know, 15 different digits to get to his line. <laughs> and, and I remember calling him and, and, uh, he didn't, I don't think he picked up and I left him a voicemail and we played phone tag a little bit. <laughs> which, which honestly is the best thing in the world because it's Marv Albert. So you can think about the voicemails you get and you're, you know, you're a young guy grew up listening to this guy. And I, I get a call. Hey Jack, it's Marv Albert. Listen to your tape. It's good, but it needs a lot of work. <laughs> that sort of thing. And, uh, and off we went, eventually I reached him and um, yeah, I mean, he was, he, he happened to be willing to help me out and um so yeah, it started off as a relationship where I had I had sent him you know a couple minutes of one of those women's basketball tapes with me sitting in the stands with a recorder. I think I also sent him a tape from a uh, a game I did. Our big game at Santa Clara is against Gonzaga. At this point, Gonzaga is a household name. They're, they've made a couple of national title games. They were still you know on the rise. They had become a power at the time. I remember this vividly. My freshman year, I sat between a couple of fans in like the top row of the stands with a lot of noise. And I was, I had my, uh, I think it was, I think my first microphone was a blue Yeti. I, I don't know if the, you know that brand, but I was, I was sitting there with a, with a blue Yeti microphone between two Gonzaga fans screaming at the top of their lungs. And I did the game and I did like a four minute segment. I thought it sounded good. I sent it off to Marv and he's like, Jack, I can't hear a thing. <laughs> All you can hear is just your know, background noise because it's it's just loud as heck. And I, I'm sitting in the stands trying to hold my roster up and that sort of thing. But, no, he basically te- he tore the tape to shreds. And by tearing it to shreds, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because he's the first person to even mention a spotting board to me or, or the aspect of making a chart for preparation. I had no idea that's what people did. I, I didn't I didn't know this. And he actually, man, I still have them today. I wish I uh, – they're they're in my closet here in my apartment somewhere. But he sent me, I think, four of his charts, and he he did everything handwritten from the time he started to the time he finished. Forget about people typing out things and all that sort of stuff. 
sent me his handwritten charts. I remember one of them vividly. It was the um, it would have been the series that the Spurs played the um, I think the Spurs played the Warriors. He sent me a chart. It was the series I think where Kawhi Leonard had his foot stepped on by Zaza Pachulia, and he sent me one of those charts. And I remember having that one. I remember he sent me. Um, I want to say it's the the Norfolk State Missouri game um, with uh, Kyle O'Quinn, who was a Nick, and he sent me one of those charts. So I figured out how to do it. And then he, we've talked so much about description and over describing on radio and, and telling me, you know, it'd be a constant Jack. Make sure you tell me everything. Tell me what it smells like. Tell me how many hot dogs are in the vendor. And everything you can think of, he was telling me to describe and. I probably got to the point where I was maybe, which is a good thing, probably describing too much. Um, and then I'd send him a tape back, and I'd forget to give the score too much. And I'd forget to, um, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't describe the passes enough. There was always something he was picking up, and it got to the point where my junior, senior year, there was less and less he was picking on me for. And that's when I started to realize, okay, there could be a, a chance for me to send this off to some people. Um, and, and you talk about my kind of my first job out of school – it doesn't happen without, you know, someone like that. I had a lot of other people as well. One of the guys who led me to my basically first job out of school was Dave Kane, who's now the radio voice of the Milwaukee Bucks. As good a guy as you'll meet, and I'm not just saying broadcasters, Logan, as good a person as you'll meet in this world. He's just unbelievable. I can't say enough about him and, and what he's meant to me and what he's done for me. We we talked the other day. I talk as much as I can. He's a he's a he's big time now. Obviously, calling for the calling games for a team that won the title a year ago, and I was so happy for him to get that Bucks job. He was at Virginia, I think, for 13 years. It would have been, and my my junior year was kind of the first time where I started to really reach out to anyone I could think of who I who would connect me with um, to get advice and, and get feedback on my tapes. He was one of them. He took a lot of time to talk to me and. Um, he was one of the people I, I was kind of around the time where I started really listening to different broadcasters. A buddy of mine got me hooked on the tune app. I'm sure you're hooked on it too. Sirius XM with all the NBA play by play, but I got hooked on TuneIn, and I, I had a couple of favorite guys to listen to. And he was number one on the list. Hearing him call a UVA men's basketball game was just addicting to me. And I, I reached out to him as soon as I could get his email to ask him how he does it, what he's done to, to get the voice he has. And he was, you know, that kind of voice is unique. Obviously he's got that baritone and a, a voice that's unbelievable, but he gave me so much good advice. And it got to the point where when I was a senior and I'm reaching out to think about jobs, no longer reaching out for internships. I had done a year in Kalamazoo. I had done a year in Yakima, Washington. So you can add a couple more, couple more pins on your map as you're trying to figure out how the heck I, I got to where I am. Put down uh, Yakima, Washington in there too in wine country. I spent a year there with the Pippins in the, in the West Coast League. That was a blast. But, um, yeah, I had some tape, and I reached out to him. I said, hey, any advice for me starting out of college? And he said, well, Jack, I, I mean, one one idea I have for you, I don't know if you're willing to come over to Charlottesville, but we might have some stuff here that we're starting up the ACC network, um, and that means each school is going to be required to produce a certain number of events. That's kind of the first time it crossed my head that, well, maybe it doesn't just have to be me trying to get a D1 radio job. Maybe streaming is an option. And I was really lucky, Logan. You think about like my year in 2018, I guess I would have graduated. Nowadays, the ESPN Plus brand is a household name. You go anywhere and you got people who think they're on ESPN because they're calling ESPN Plus games. It's so prevalent. You go anywhere and you can call the games. At the time, it wasn't quite at that level yet. 
Virginia was just getting involved with the ACC network. The network would launch a year later. And Dave told me he thought they had a couple of field hockey games for me, maybe a couple of soccer games. I'd be by myself calling it for a hundred dollars, but there it might lead to other stuff. And I said, well, that sounds pretty good. And um, from reaching out, I, I mean, a long story short, I sent probably 750 emails my senior year to every college I could think of in America. And um, among the people I was connected to was a, a guy over at Davidson, their SID, Joey Beeler, who is still a, a friend of mine. And I consider him a mentor of mine. And he was really, uh, he was really good to me. And the fact that he took me on to, to do some work, but he said, yeah, we're starting ESPN plus the Atlantic 10 had just signed a package of games and we have to broadcast all these events, soccer and field hockey. And they were, they had to stream basketball for the first time on E plus. And am I interested in doing it and maybe doing some coaches shows? And I said, you know what, this is probably enough for me to take the plunge and move over to the South. And so I guess if Davidson wasn't going to let me into their college the first time, calling games for them would be the, uh, the next best <laughs> thing. So I graduated and, uh, yeah, obviously I, I, I met you in, in Winston-Salem. I guess it would have been that June. And, um, actually at that time during, during the time I was in Winston-Salem, I drove down to Davidson and I met with Joey and that's where we basically, we shook hands and said, Hey, let's, uh, let's do this. We'll have you do 50, 60 events for us. Um, wasn't paid a whole lot, but, you know, I, I, I could maybe figure my way to get some other stuff on the side, get some cheap apartments. Ended up having to be two apartments because I didn't know I would get as much work as I did over at Virginia. And, uh, yeah, ended up, ended up making a lot of drives back and forth from Charlottesville and Davidson. I don't know how many. It was a lot. It's a four-and-a-half-hour drive. You do the math on the amount of gas that was purchased over that time. But, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was really fortunate the way things came about. None of it happens without the, the, the mentors I had along the way. Instead of two apartments, you should have just got an RV. <laughs> that would have, you're right. That would have made a lot of sense. Probably would have saved some money too. It would have made, and you know what? I could have got an RV too, thinking about it now. An RV with broadcast equipment installed. So maybe <laughs> if I get stuck on the highway, I can call a game remotely, you know, and I'm yeah. ready to go. Exactly. Um, I know eventually a couple years later, this is probably skipping some steps, but eventually you do get kind of the full time a D1 radio job for football and men's basketball at Nichols uh, right before the world shuts down. Uh, I don't think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think you basically did any games that that first fall, did you? No, I did. So you're you, you you're right in that I got the job after the after, you know, Virginia and Davidson. That was my kind of first foray out of college. I got the I actually got the Nichols job uh, that, that the following year. So I only did, it was only one year of doing Davidson and Virginia and, and Davidson. And to be honest to people, Davidson and Virginia, and this is, this is a message I have to a lot of young guys out there and a lot of freelancers and broadcasters. Nowadays, you do not have to link on to one school. I mean, there are so many schools that are streaming, that have radio, that are doing content. Davidson and Virginia turned into Winthrop and I did probably, three games on radio for Winthrop. I filled in for uh, I th- uh, for Dave Friedman over there. He's been their longtime radio voice for basketball. I uh, filled in on radio for him a couple of times. I went over to Knoxville. I did a couple of softball series for Tennessee on uh, SEC Network Plus. I went over to USC Upstate in South Carolina, and I did a bunch of work there. It turned into probably six or seven schools who I actually freelanced for over that period. So I got a lot of different experience. But, yeah, that following year, basically the, the year ended, Logan, and 
I was kind of sitting there in my apartment. I don't know which, which apartment it would have been between the two of them, but kind of thinking about next step and how do I want to go about this. And I made the decision after that first year that I, I want to try to pursue something else and try to get something that's at least a little bit more constant. I didn't make a whole lot of money that first year. In fact, I probably lost money that first year and wanted to try to get something a little more steady if I could, trying to maybe get on board with a, an athletic department or something along those lines or become – sort of a full-time voice in a capacity. And uh, yeah, I mean, through the initial contacts, I mentioned to you, and I, I'm not kidding when I say that I sent out 700 emails, my, my dad will, uh, my dad will attest to it. My dad is an expert on, uh, on Excel. And um, he, my dad assisted me in making an Excel spreadsheet of every single contact <laughs> at every school in America. And when I say contact, this is not, you know, we're not talking about a copy and paste job. We're talking about, I would, and this is, I think what it takes to, if you want to really dive in there without seeing a job opening on STAA or whatever it was and find out a way, if a job is open, you got to spend time and find the right person to contact. And I did all kinds of digging on, you know, people's LinkedIn's. Is this the person who's the ESPN plus contact? Is this the person who's the radio contact among the hundreds and hundreds of people who, who I reached out to probably 25 responded to me saying that there might be something probably got ignored by 500 and, and it got like 200 no's. And, and so out of that ratio of, you know, those 25, 30, one of the guys that got back to me is Bryant Johnson, who was the radio voice at Nichols at the time. They actually go by Nichols, not Nichols State now, just to, oh, just to clarify. No, no, hey, no, no, but no apologies necessary. It's, it's been, it was Nichols State for a long time. I think the national reputation is Nichols State, but I'll, there'll be a note. My boss is, at Nich- you know, my, my AD at Nichols will be annoyed and my SID if I don't mention that it's Nichols, but, um, one of the guys who responded to me was Brian Johnson. I remember I had a I had a really good phone call with him. Um, my uh, I think my well probably would have been my senior year of college actually before I had first gone to Davidson in Virginia, and he gave me some good advice. and He kind of told me where he is. He told me about the Southland Conference a little bit. I actually have an uncle who is initially from Baton Rouge, and his mom still lives there. She's actually the one. We'll talk about this. She's the one who I evacuated with during the hurricane this past fall. Um, but yeah, that first year I had, I had, I kept in touch with Bryant Nichols actually beat Kansas in 2018. So that year that I was working, doing my, my first year out of school, Nichols gets its first ever win against an FBS team, biggest win in program history. They've gone from, if people don't know the story of Nichols football, they've gone from arguably the worst team in the FCS to now a perennial FCS playoff contender. And, uh, the goal now is to, you know, become a national title team and, our coach is unbelievable. Tim Rebo has done an incredible job. But um, basically, I got in touch with Bryant after they won that game against Kansas, sent him a congrats. We chatted again. And that following summer, I reached out to him telling him, hey, I'm moving on from my first job. Any advice? And he said, you know, Jack, I mean, there might be an opportunity for you. Um, and sure enough, a couple weeks later, he ends up actually going to Virginia Tech. And he takes over for um, a guy who had left to go over and, and it's actually kind of crazy how the, the world works in a full circle, but, um, he took the job at Virginia Tech as kind of their number two. Andrew Allegretta, who had been in Virginia Tech, moves over to Tulane. And now here I am doing a lot of freelance work for Tulane. So it, it's kind of funny how the world works, but the, uh, the opening was kind of coming about at Nichols and, um, the application opened. He told me I should apply and I got, you know, I'm fortunate enough I, that I got to interview with them and, um, their current AD, who's now the AD at Eastern Kentucky, Matt Rowan, who I still, uh, to this day, am really thankful for that he took a chance on me and incredibly thankful to Bryant for um, recommending me. And 
yeah, I flew down to Thibodeau for the first time. You talk about a culture shock, man. I'd been a lot of places. <laughs> it was a little different going down to Thibodeau for the first time and having a having a po' boy and some jambalaya and uh, sitting there. I think I sat through uh, a coach's show. It was like it, I, I interviewed. It must have been week one of the football season. So I actually hopped in my first year at Nichols. My first game at Nichols was week five of the 2019 football season, and it was Nichols against Central Arkansas. Um, and yeah, I mean, this, if you do the math on it, this is truly the first time I've had a full year of sports. Cause that first year we go through, I, I got, you know, a nine game football season, really lucky. It ended in Fargo, North Dakota with an FCS playoff game. So that was awesome to go to the Fargo dome for the first time. We actually were down a point to them in the third and then they kind of blew the doors off us. <laughs> I, I see that. Yeah. You got the, the thumbs down thing going here, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know you, I know you don't like him too much, but. Um, yeah, and then went through basketball season, had a great basketball season. I think our basketball team would have won the conference title that first year, and I'm in our hotel room in Katy, Texas, getting ready for the Southland Tournament for the two seed, and we get shut down due to COVID. The sports world stops. I don't call another game for Nichols until that following basketball season in November or whenever uh, whenever the season started up, and uh, and our our FCS season got moved to the spring. So I call you know a seven game FCS football season. So it's kind of a wild first couple of years, and then finally this year uh, was you know a full a full calendar, if you want to say, of events. So it's been a wild ride, but uh, it really been I've been so fortunate to be here. The people in Thibodeau are unbelievable. They love their teams. They've taken me in and, and uh, just supported me, and, and have said some really nice things. And they've enjoyed the work I do, and I, I've really liked being here. The weather isn't always the best; it gets brutally hot sometimes. Um, it's, uh, it, it's a cool place though. And I've, I've certainly enjoyed my time here and, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a blast over the course of these three years. So how were you able to, to pay the bills when there's no games, when you're not doing games for a long time? Was it a full-time salary that they continued to go with? Were you furloughed? How do you get through that time frame when I know a lot of people who relied on freelance or independent contractor work had a hard time getting work yeah so so the answer yeah so you you were right on the first part of it I'm, I'm full-time in athletics so that's been that was the biggest blessing during COVID more than anything to have um, an athletic director and I get his name's Jonathan Terrell we call him JT um, he was he's been he's been really good to me the same way Matt Rowan my previous athletic director was really nice to me when he first brought me on. But, um, yeah, basically during, um, basically during the time when, well, when COVID first hit, we were all still sort of sitting around and waiting to see what would happen. Like I said, I was literally in the hotel room. I remember being on the bus with our basketball team, driving back to Thibodeau from Texas to five hour ride or something. And we saw a couple hours later how the NCAA tournament would be canceled. Um, and at that point, yeah, I'm sitting there thinking, boy, I might get furloughed. I might get fired. I don't know what's going to happen with our department. And Nichols has been in a, I mean, they're in a big time budget deficit still. They're fighting back. You can imagine a lot of these FCS schools, a lot of these low level mid-major division one schools have lost a lot of money during this time. Our AD at Nichols did not furlough a single person. We all kept getting our salaries. Um, I, uh, I, I did, you know, whatever I could to help out from a, um, a standpoint of, you know, whatever he needed financially for me, I, I you know, I, I would have been happy to take a pay cut if it came down to that. And he never even asked me to. So yeah, I got really lucky in that regard, Logan, that he kept me on board. He kept all of us on board. 
And um, to, it, kind of in exchange, I did everything I could to produce content during that time. We did, um, we would do some videos to, you know, highlight, uh, you know, kind of the TBT stuff, throwback Thursday videos at, at Nichols. Not only have I done play by play, but part of the, you know, being in, being full-time in athletics, what people have to understand instead of being Learfield, yeah, the perk of the Learfield job, you've got everything they do from an advertising standpoint. Um, they pay you per game. A lot of those schools are bigger in advertising, bigger in reach. I don't necessarily have that. I help out on a lot. Of, I wear my hat a lot. You know, wear, got, basically, I have to wear a lot of different hats is the point I'm trying to make. Um, I've done play-by-play, obviously, as the voice of the Colonels, but I would say that's not nearly – when you, when you look at kind of a pie, I mean, it, the breakdown is video editing, audio editing, hosting the coaches' shows. Um, I've emceed the Hall of Fame. I've emceed banquets. I've gone and interviewed athletes. I've, I've had to hold the camera sometimes. Um, on photo day, I'll hold up the thing for the light, for the photographer, yeah? whatever, whatever they need, man, I'll roll. I've rolled the tarp at the baseball field for a rainout, whatever they've needed, basically I've done. Um, so that's, that's part of being full-time in athletics in exchange for the full-time salary. But, uh, was really fortunate during that time of COVID to have that, that money still coming in, in that regard. And, um, I even got to go home for a little bit and be with my family. So, uh, that part of it was nice, but yeah, re- really fortunate that uh, that my AD let me, you know, not not didn't furlough me, and that you know I was in, I was full time still. So after things became less shut down, you really had uh, some really cool opportunities. We talked about, you know, some of the ESPN Plus and ESPN Three stuff, which is a step below, for lack of a better word, real ESPN. But then you started getting opportunities with Westwood One. Uh, you got to do the Olympics, but at this, and we'll talk about the Olympics separately in a little bit. So don't go too much into that. But, um, you got displaced from your home because of a hurricane. I, I don't remember which hurricane it was, but as that was going on, I know you're getting some of the biggest opportunities you've had. You did the uh, radio for Westwood One for the Florida Alabama game, which at that time was huge. What is going through your mind as you're basically tr- probably trying to find a place to live? It just seems like a crazy situation to get that that big-time opportunity for the first. It's a perfect example of you don't always get to pick the best time uh, for that to happen. Yeah, I think you set this up perfectly. So to it, it kind of the lead-up to, to that game, which came, I want to say it was September – I want to say it was September 18th. It was our bye week at Nichols. So that's, that's part of why I, I got the game and was free to do the game. But, um, yeah, I mean, we got hit by the hurricane would have been the week before football season started at Nichols. And we actually were supposed to open the season at Memphis. So <laughs> that was a, that was a crazy situation in itself. Yeah. I had never gone through a hurricane while, um, a hurricane that hit me directly while during my time in Louisiana, I knew it was a risk. I think anywhere you go in the universe, there's going to be some kind of risk weather-wise. When I was home back, uh, when I was growing up, it would have been, I guess, 2012 when Hurricane Sandy hit. So I've been hit by a hurricane, but that was like a blizzard. That was completely different. Um, I've been in California where there get earthquakes. I've been, uh, <laughs> obviously, been different spots where natural disasters happen. But, yeah, when the hurricane, when, when we got word of it and its path, um, and the and the evacuation was forced. I was very fortunate that I had a family friend, and, and it's it, I, I say I, I had a family member. She's not 
related to me by blood, but it's my uncle's mom who lives in Baton Rouge. I told you he grew up in Baton Rouge. He's a huge LSU fan. Um, and he, he lives in New York now. No, no, you couldn't, you wouldn't know at all that he's from there, but, um, she lives there. She, she's, uh, in Baton Rouge. And so I've always been in touch there. Whenever I hear about something, there had been three or four times I heard about a hurricane during my time at Nichols and I would call her for advice. And occasionally I'd, I'd drive a couple hours away and, uh, waited out at her place or whatever. This time we knew how serious it was going to be. And so we made plans. She happened to have a family friend who lived out near Shreveport uh, all the way to, if anyone doesn't know the map of the U.S., basically, that's all the way towards the basically the northwest corner of Louisiana. And if anyone knows where New Orleans is, you're talking about south Louisiana and toward the obviously the eastern part of it. Thibodeau is pretty much as southeast as you can get. So I was – Right near, I mean, the eye of the storm, the eye of the hurricane basically came right through Homa, which is like five miles away from where I am in Thibodeau. So I, I had to get out of there, and my apartment did get damaged. Um, so we evacuated. I get all the way over there to, and to um, the Shreveport area for, it was at least a week or so, um, and she had evacuated her area in Baton Rouge. We also, there were a couple other kids who were, it, it was like she was running a, a bed and breakfast or something. Cause there was a couple other kids who were staying with us. And um, so at the time I uh, I'm just prepping for my game against Memphis. I, I've got a, I've got the week one game that week for Nichols and I'm just doing what I can. I don't know if the game's going to be on or not. The Nichols football team ends up busting over there and they, uh, they evacuated, I think somewhere in Mississippi as a team. I met up with the team in Memphis the football team ends up staying in Memphis for basically two weeks because they, the, the, the player housing was destroyed. And a lot of those guys had to get new apartments completely. Um, I ended up driving over after about a week to Memphis. I did the game there. I went from there back to her place in Baton Rouge, where I then spent the next week leading up to our week two game against Louisiana Lafayette. And around that time, I don't know exactly when it was, but um, I had been in touch with, uh, Howard Denneroff over at Westwood one for a little while and got the call from him that, you know, there, there might need be a need for it. And he knew that it was our bye week at Nichols. And um, yeah, you know, when it, when it, when it came to, Hey, can you, can you do Alabama, Florida? Um, <laughs> the, I don't know how quick the yes was for the Olympics gig, but it was, it was pretty darn close. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was pretty surreal to, to obviously get that opportunity and to, uh, to go through um <laughs> to go through the prep process when I'm I'm still not in my own apartment. I had clothes and I had all kinds of stuff that was back home that I would have liked to have with me. But you uh, you, you do what you can with with what you got, and um, I, I made myself sort of a makeshift work desk and ended up doing some conference calls from that area. And um, you know, Wi-Fi was a little bit of a struggle with everything that was going on. I had to find a couple of couple of Starbucks nearby and a couple of uh, places that had power and that sort of thing, but. Yeah, ultimately, uh, it, it was all uh, it was all worth it when it came down to flying over to Gainesville and uh, sitting in that press box in front of ninety thousand at the swamp. That was a a pretty surreal experience, and as you said, a pretty surreal couple of weeks. I know most broadcasters, you know, once they do it long enough, you don't really get nervous anymore. Were there any nerves before that game? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. It's a uh, I try, you try to tell yourself all you can that it's, you're calling a game. It's the same thing. Try to imagine it's your three, 4,000 fans in a, in a game at, a, at Gidry stadium in Thibodeau, but it's, it's different. The energy is different when you start, 
you sit down there and I'm there three hours early and, and you can see the you walk in and you see the tailgate scene and you smell what's going on and you hear what's going on and um, the noise prior to kickoff, there there were all kinds of nerves for sure. And and the other part of it too, we haven't talked that much about who I like to listen to and, and kind of the networks I, I've, I've listened to and grown to love. But um, for me, you know, when we talked about me being in college and getting the TuneIn app for the first time and listening to guys do college football and then moving to Sirius XM and getting that app. And I listened to all the NBA and NFL voices. And um, one of the things I started to do, I don't know when exactly it was that I first heard Kevin Harlan call a game for Westwood one radio, but um, my, my guess would be, it was probably my sophomore year of college that I first heard him do a Super Bowl. And ever since that point, I had to tell a lot of people this, I don't care if I'm at a Super Bowl party uh, where I am, I mean, I've I've made it a point to, for a quarter at least, if not a half, sit there with my headphones and just listen to him call the game and and uh, hear the way he did it. I remember in college doing that. And to just the name, the, the Westwood One brand ever since then has just meant so much to me. And um, I, I know that they hire the best of the best and guys that I've looked up to, the Iron Eagles. And Marv Albert was the guy before Kevin Harlan and uh, I'm such a big fan of Ryan Ratke and Kevin Kugler. You just go down the line for it to be that, you know, for it to be Westwood one and, um, you know, Howard Denneroff being the guy to give me the call, someone who I, I admire for everything that he's done for the industry. And, um, obviously he's as good as they come from a radio standpoint and a guy of, you know, critiquing work and an ear for talent. Um, th- that part of it adds so much more to me and I didn't want to let him down for taking a chance on me. And, um, yeah, it, it just, it being Alabama, Florida as a sports fan, it just, it doesn't get a whole lot better. So there were nerves for sure. And then it comes down to just handling the nerves and settling in. And it took me, it took me a drive or two. I, I, um, I've listened back to that, that opening drive and those first couple drives multiple times and national radio, they've got you situated kind of towards the end zone. You're not at the 50 yard line. It took a little while to adjust when I'm used to sitting in small stadiums, 50 yard line, you know, you're right there at the, the first snap of the game. And th- there's no excuses though. You got to adjust and adapt and get back to your fundamentals. And um, I worked with a really good partner in Derek Rackley, who he's, I think he's as good as they come um, and could have any job he wanted to uh, with, with how good he is at, at radio. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a blast overall and, uh, and yeah, handling the nerves was a big part of it for sure. Let's get to the Olympics now because that, as you mentioned, an incredible opportunity. I mean, for anyone besides someone at your age, I read that you did fencing, karate, taekwondo, and shooting. And those don't necessarily, I guess some of those have maybe some dots you can connect from one to the other, but a lot of variety in that. I'm assuming these were done virtually in Stanford and not in Japan. Yeah, just take us through the process of how you got that opportunity. Yeah, so a lot of this, you'll, you'll, you'll see a familiar theme here, Logan, with kind of the way all these things come about. And I think it's, I think a lot of people will, will say similar things. It's very rare. I know that people think, um, in this industry, you call games enough, you get discovered by people, you get a call and you're on the air somewhere. It's very rare that that happens. It, it does happen. Um, but for me and in kind of my experience and the people I've talked to, it, it's a relationship business. It, it has to be. You have to, you have to get, you have to get relationships. You got to maintain those relationships. You have to do everything in your power to keep following up and be persistent without being a pest, which is very hard to do to toe that line. 
and um, and just continually try to grow in the field through the people that you know and, and through the people who um, are making some of these decisions. And um, and yeah, basically it dates back for me with NBC to when I was, I think, a junior in college. And I had, I thought was at the point I developed a little bit of tape. At this point, I'd, I'm on our student radio station. I had done a couple of local cable TV basketball games. I had a little bit of TV tape. I would, you know, stand in front of the camera before I'd do it student radio station game and do a little sideline report or whatever it is just to get some tape. Um, and I realized I had to find a way to, I had some really good radio mentors. I had to find a way to, I knew things were moving towards TV, had to find a way to get some advice for people um, in, in terms of doing TV work. And, um, and that's kind of around the time where people told me, you know, you should, you should start trying to you know talk to producers. I mean, those are people who are going to hire talent, try to try to seek advice. And, uh, was really fortunate to co- get connected to a couple producers at NBC Sports. Um, they didn't have to take the time to talk to me, but they did. And I remember a really good conversation I had. It probably would have been my, you know, probably late my junior year. And um, I talked to someone there, and they gave me some really good advice on stuff with my voice and my presence, and um, you know, letting things breathe more on TV because I had I had been doing all radio at that time, and so it's stuff that I hadn't really been thinking about that I started to think about as I did more TV and. Um, got a couple opportunities with the NFHS network and that's stuff I would think about working on. And um, I kept in touch. I, I, I sent emails with tapes every year or every six months. And the, the, I guess the, the kind of the first time I would think that they probably took me seriously is when I had a little bit of tape with, you know, Virginia on my resume, which is, you know, it's, it's got the ESPN branding. You've got those, you know, ESPN score bugs on there. Uh, I think it was a, combination of doing some field hockey some soccer some lacrosse and uh you know it's it's you know those teams at virginia are all nationally ranked and i sent the tape over to them and they liked what they heard and they said you know keep going and um ultimately it got to the point where i think uh i, I want to say it would have been the summer after so yeah this would have been my i had finished my first year out of college at this point and i got a call from one of the producers at the olympic channel uh, who obviously, you know, NB- NBC is, you know, it manages the Olympic channel. And um, this was July of 2019, I want to say. And they said, hey, any any chance you can call water polo? And I'm like, of course I can call water polo. I'd never done water polo in my life. But I'm like, yeah, of course I can call it. I'll figure out a way to do it. They're like, okay, cool. Uh, we need you on the World Water Polo Championships in six days, <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, well, six days. <laughs> so that was a, that was a little bit of a challenge, but um, yeah, I, I it's it's just it becomes back to the nature of how I first got into this and how I learned to do it. Find mentors, figure out how to call this, watch everything you can, listen to everything you can. Um, one of the people who've been really good to me from an Olympic sports Olympic sports perspective has been Bill Spalding. I don't know if you've ever talked to Bill. He but has he's been a big on the show. Yeah, yes, yeah. so he's a play by play guy in in a big way now with NBC, and obviously he's made incredible strides. And I think he's as good as they come from a in a, any Olympic sport you want to name. I mean, that guy is unbelievable. He did. I saw him doing the the swimming championships for ESPN the other day. He deserves every opportunity that can come his way from a an Olympic sport sports perspective. He is, he is so good at, at what he does. And he was on track and field on the Peacock stream for the Olympics when I, while I was doing it um, for, for Tokyo. So he, he's unbelievable. And he had done, he had gave me some really good advice. I think the only reason I got that opportunity to do the world water polo championships was because um, 
his daughter, I think, was sick or something was going on, and he had to miss the first week of coverage. So I still thank him for that. But um, anyway, he he had something going on, and I think it was me and, and Chris Vosters were splitting the uh, the play by play duties there in Stamford. And um, yeah, I did everything I could to learn about the sport and call it. And I guess I did a decent enough job because a couple months later they called me and said, "Hey, can you do some ski jumping?" <laughs> so now we're going from you know my my usual sports to water. You know, water polo's got a ball involved at least. And now we got, you know, ski jumping and I don't know where it was, Norway or something like that. And I'm thinking like, well, I can do it. It's going to be a little tougher. I think that was Super Bowl Sunday the following year um, or, or that, that, that Super Bowl weekend it would have been, I think, the first time. But I did ski jumping on a couple occasions and um, did everything I could. Didn't hear back from those producers much over the course of the next year because NBC had a few things to figure out. You can imagine that happens when an Olympics gets postponed by a year, but I, uh, I I reached back out when the world started to open back up a little bit the following year, and um, yeah, I, I had I had gotten a, a call from someone there to check in with me March or April or th- or something leading up to that Olympics, and just kind of caught up with them. And the call came uh, asking about being on uh, being on the uh, what they call the swing team for the Olympics, which is basically a a multi sport person. I was. You can't. You can find on your hand maybe six or seven people total out of the play-by-play and color pool that are doing multiple sports during the Olympics, and I did four of them. So uh, yeah, really fortunate to get that call, and it was it was amazing. And uh, my parents, I'm, I'm from New York originally. My parents now live in Connecticut, so I could uh, go back home and be near them. And uh, and yeah, it was a, it was a heck of an experience. So doing sports like karate and taekwondo, which to me completely unknowledgeable about any martial arts, probably seem similar, but I'm sure the terminology is completely different in many ways. It seems like it might be easy to confuse or mix up uh, the different technology or terminology. Is that the case or am I off base? I think you're very on base. (laughs) It's it's not easy. It's as hard as it looks. Um, they're, they're different sports. There are little intricacies involved. There are little details involved. That's just where it comes down to talking to people, reading reading whatever you can, and watching whatever you can. And I was lucky to. I mean, it's it's the Olympics, so they uh, they they roll out the they roll out the carpet for you and get you the best of the best to talk to. And they've got research guides and things like that. Now you can read all you want about it. Seeing it is another thing. So it was for me being able to watch it was most important um, to just consume hours and hours of video the same way that a quarterback is on a, on a Monday leading up to uh, you know analyzing their game tape and trying to read a defense leading into that, that week. That's kind of the approach I took. And I'm the quarterback of this offense in the booth. I got to find a way to break this down any way I can make it make sense for me. No kind of the key terms. I had a couple of, I guess, you know, blanket terms for each sport. When in doubt, lean on those and then let my analyst who knows the sport and, 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 does, and I was with uh, this guy, Sherman Nelson, who's unbelievable. He's a, he's a good friend of mine now. And he, uh, he was great. And um, they have a stat team with you. They had a, they actually had me. I got to give him a shout out. This guy, Eric Merlis, who is a, uh, one of the best stat guys in the business who's, I mean, he, this is a guy who's done, you know, football stats for Kenny Albert. He does, you know, basketball and football for Bob with shoes in for ESPN. Here he is in the booth in Tokyo, helping me with karate stats, just kind of a, he would help me with research and identifying guys and, and whether a point scored and stuff. So I had, I had some really good help behind me, but yeah, it's, um, it was tricky. 
mixing up terminology is definitely a thing, especially um, on short notice. I, one of the tougher days I had was I got the call on very short notice, probably I had maybe 10 hours to do my first fencing call because I, I wasn't told I would be doing fencing in the lead up to the Olympics. I had, you know, a, a month or two to prepare and um, I get the call, you know, 10 hours prior. Hey, can you do fencing tonight? And so that was tough to, to you know, do a cram session and learn and that sort of thing. But they've got really good analysts doing this and um, they have tape for you to look at and that sort of thing. So it's just a matter of trying to simplify it the best I can try not to sound, you know, like I don't know anything I'm talking about, trying to fool people like you who maybe don't know the sport, keep it at the bare bones, tell people what they need. Uh, and then I really tried to hone in on storytelling because that's the one thing I know I can do. It's something I do all the time when I'm calling games on TV or even on radio. Uh, you know, call the call the match or the, the bout uh, in fencing or whatever it is and, and say the score and and be ready for that that punch call of gold or silver with whatever storyline there is, and uh, and let my analysts fill in the dots and tell people why that point scored, why that kick is three points versus two, um, why a guy got a flag, why uh, the light didn't come on in a certain certain situation in fencing, and um, that's sort of the way I tried to go about it. What was the hardest name you had to pronounce, and do you remember it? Because I feel like usually you never forget these names. And I'm imagining a lot of those kind of Asian karate taekwondo names uh, were um, difficult to pronounce. See, this is one I know we were talking beforehand about stuff that might get asked. I, I could have been, I could have had my spotting board for you, and we could have got down the list of uh, one of the uh, one of the karate matchups. I, I can't tell you. <laughs> I don't think I can tell you off the top of my head on that one. Um, I will say there were. Uh, there were some, you know, the, the Asian names weren't weren't super tricky. They're they're tough in terms of, you know, you look at them the first time, but everything. I, I'm sure you probably do this too, Logan. When you're calling a football game or a basketball game, you probably get your share of names where you got to make it phonetics on your board. It's just it's useless to have it written out the way that it that it that it's spelled. Um, every single name on my board for the Olympics was phonetics, and um, it came down to I think the Middle Eastern names were probably the toughest for me. Um, some of the some of the, the the ones from Kazakhstan or um, I'm trying to think there were a few from Saudi Arabia that were pretty tough. Uh, there were a few I, the the Russian names aren't easy either, and um, those those ones you know those seem like the easiest sometimes with the way they're spelled. But if you get the emphasis wrong, it screws up everything, and then you you sound like you don't you sound unsure if the emphasis is wrong is what I'm getting at. So. I I can't give you one off the top of my head. There there are too many in my head. I'm I'm thinking there was one. There was a uh, there was a, a a ganja day and a uh, uzukis or something like that. I I don't know. There were a few for when I did the rifle shooting. There were a couple that were. I, I tried to. That's one of those. I think if you don't get them out of your head after you do it, it's going to haunt you into your next football season. So I tried <laughs> to recycle them out of my head as soon as I could. <laughs> yeah. The the hardest one I've ever had was a guy who played for Black Hill State, and uh, it was actually when I was in college, and I, I I can still remember it and pronounce it correctly today because it was not spelled anything like the way it looked, and it was Parfait Nayaki Hugu. Wow, and he was yeah, he was a starter in a basketball game, but fortunately he was like a defensive specialist who didn't touch the ball very much. So I could just skip it if uh, it was just a quick reversal or something. But um, there's your irrelevant fact of the day. 
Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking through my, uh, I'm scrolling through some of the names I had on my, on my list. Some of these are, some of these are pretty funny that I was, uh, trying to go through and write these out phonetically and struggling to do so. There were, uh, yeah, the, here, here's, here's one. I remember, I remember this woman, uh, Logan, cause she made a final, I think, in one of these. Angelica Terluga Yulu. <laughs> and some of these are just, some of them you can't help but to laugh while you're trying to say them. Uh, you got to get through it though. So, um, the last couple of questions that I ask just about everyone is at like the deepest, most basic level. What about sports casting brings you joy? Like, why do you do it and why do you love it? Yeah, a, a bunch of reasons. And I think, I think anyone who gives you just one answer, they're, they're probably not telling you the, the full truth because there are so many things for me. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a couple. I think for me, my love of sports, first of all, I just, it's, it's like we were talking about. It's what I grew up with. Um, I have so much appreciation for how good these men and women are, what they do and, and how great these athletes are. That's why doing something like the Olympics is a gold standard, no pun intended for me. And these are people at the, peak of their excellence as an athlete at the peak of excellence as athletes in the world doing what they do best. So I, I hold that at, at such a high standard, but um, my, my love of sports, first of all, when it comes to the love of broadcasting, obviously you combine sport, you know, you combine sports and broad te- broadcasting and you get the word sports casting um, for me, for broadcasting um, it's a couple things. It's a, the appreciation I have for the people who came before me who have been so good and who gave me so much enjoyment and, and love for it when I was little. It, you think about watching sports, yeah, it'd be great to watch games just in general to see athletes do their thing. But think about how much extra it brings having an announcer who really knows what he's doing. So um, to have people like Marv Albert and Kevin Harlan and Ian Eagle and Jim Nance and Mike Breen, and then you you backtrack to people who I wasn't really fortunate enough to hear but who I know meant so much to so many people like the Pat Summerall's of the world and Dick Enberg and boy, Kurt Gowdy, you go down the line. One thing we didn't talk about is, you know, during COVID, one thing I did to entertain myself was I made the the bracket for the greatest play-by-play calls in the last 50 years. And that gave me even more appreciation for all these people who have come before me. But um, I just think there's such a tradition of excellence for all these guys who've come before me and we're talking about play-by-play specifically, not just broadcasting, but um, my love and appreciation for the guys who have done this to make me enjoy sports and love sports and want to do this is the, is the biggest thing. And then just my love for the craft. I think that anyone who really loves what they do has an appreciation for the craft of it. And for me, finding the right word to describe as something on radio and, uh, and create, you know, put a picture to life for someone who's listening – or on TV, caption a call really well, tell a story about someone. Um, I, I just think that the love for the craft is something you have to have, and it's something I've loved for a long, long time. There's nothing better to me. I've, I, I did something like on social media I talk about all the time. Whenever someone makes a really good call, you know, one of the things I always love is uh, on TV, for instance, the way that Kevin Harlan lays out after a big shot in the playoffs. There's nothing greater to me than a guy who nails a call the way he always does in the biggest moments, and then you just hear the crowd go crazy for 20, 30 seconds. And it's like it's bringing together my two worlds or or whatever, however many worlds that I've been in in my short lifetime because 
You got him making the call, a guy I've looked up to forever, the craft of the call and how good it is, this crowd going crazy, which is what I grew up on when I was little, going to basketball or football games, whatever it is, and and hearing the electricity and the crowd and, and everything that makes sports great. And then just the moment, the pure the pure joy of these athletes after hitting a big shot and you can you see them walking away as the camera cuts to break or whatever it is. And it's just it's little things like that. It's the um the narration of of a of a milestone moment or something like Pat Hughes calling the the Cubs break in the World Series drought or um whoever it may be, someone calling a, a Super Bowl win. I just that that part of it for me is is what I love about the craft. And then I'll, I'll say that the final thing I'll give you, Logan, and you know this, and and we're we're doing it right now. It's I don't know if you want to call it a family, um, and a, a peer network, a um, obviously it's an industry, but it's the I guess the shared admiration, the shared respect, and um, and just the, the mutual curiosity to be great that everyone in this industry shares, and it may, it might not be everybody exactly, but the way that people will help you out in this industry is just amazing. And that's part of what I love about it. Um, you can do a call or call a game and call someone up and reach out and send them something and send another friend to tape and send a different guy tape. And you'll get three different opinions. A friend will reach out to you and say that he heard about a job, a friend who might've just got let go from someone. You talk to them and you figure out and brainstorm how you can help them. I just think there's, there's such a great, respect and, and there's so many friendships and you meet so many people along the way. And that's part of what I love. I, I think it really is unique the way that uh, broadcasters kind of share that, that respect and, and they share journeys in a lot of ways um, in, in what they do. Do you have any great broadcast horror stories? Oh man. Uh, yes. Got to, got to think about it a little bit. Um. I'll tell you. I'll tell you one that comes to mind right away, and I think I've got one more for you too. But it might take a little while. First basketball game I ever did for Nichols. So this is um, fall 2019. We open up at Illinois. Now this is this is the uh, Io Dusumu and um, Kofi Coburn, and you know, this is a stacked Illinois team. Year before they were kind of fully going, they, they I think they ended up being a top 20 team that year. I've never been to Champaign. I mean, that's the, that's my first big time environment. You think about it to this point, Logan, like we're talking, yeah, I had done some, you know, some relatively big games at Virginia on, you know, soccer or field hockey. I had done some Davidson ESPN plus games against Charlotte or Winthrop. This is now, I don't know how many fans they fit in the state farm center. There's a lot of fans. I had never called a, a game in that kind of environment. And I went to a school at Santa Clara, you know, we didn't, I never traveled to Spokane. I had never, you know, been in that kind of environment. We never um, did a student radio game at a Power Five or anything. This is my first true Power Five radio experience, <laughs> and I've got my uh, I've got my Comrex. I'm connected to the station. We're there, you know, two and a half hours early after just I don't know how many. It, it was a, it was a tough travel day too. I think my flight got delayed twice. I get to Champagne a couple hours before a seven p.m. tip. I plug in my Comrex and it refuses to connect to our radio station. And I'm thinking to myself, you got to be kidding me. We, you know, we're, we got game one, tip off, pregame is 30 minutes before whatever. Clock is ticking and ticking and ticking. And all of a sudden, I, I'm, I'm doing everything I can. I'm on the phone with our guy at the station. I'm having the Illinois engineer. It looked like a search party was, you know, just trying to figure out how to get me connected. 
And um, I don't know what happened, but somehow, some way, like five minutes before tip, um, I uh, I finally hook up to the station. I don't know what it was that caused it. I probably I probably reset the uh, the Comrex fifty times. I probably pulled out the battery and prayed that it would work twenty times. <laughs> I, I don't even know. I don't know what it took. I think maybe we had. Um, I, I think maybe one of the engineers on site had like screwed off the Comrex and plugged it back in and then reset the settings. The, the the internet connection was fine, but anyway, here I am getting ready to call the biggest basketball game in my life, and the, it won't connect till five minutes before. Suffice to say, it took me about a half to get comfortable calling the game after going through all this. I I'm just I'm getting calls, you know, from my AD and people. Where where the heck are you, man? I can't hear you on the radio, and our sponsors are wondering what's going on. Sure enough, we get connected five minutes before I, I go on with starting lineups and call the game. And that. That one is uh that one's certainly top of the list uh, if we're if we're going down the line at um at what uh at what transpired I I know that there have been others I, I don't have too many off the top of my head otherwise but uh that that that's one for sure that's at the top of the list. You've mentioned a few people who are your favorite broadcasters that you haven't already mentioned to just listen to as someone who uh, goes out of their way to listen to people from all over the country on the TuneIn app. Uh, who are your favorite kind of under the radar people whose work you really enjoy? Yeah, I've mentioned, I've already mentioned to you my my main ones, obviously with the the, the Harlands and, uh, and and Dave Kane with the Bucks. Um, boy, there are there are a lot of really good ones in the country. Um, I'm I'm trying to think out loud here. Uh, let's see. From a yeah, I mean, from a national perspective, I know I mentioned this earlier. Um, I know I mentioned Ryan Radke to you earlier. I don't know if a lot of people know who he is and appreciate just how good he is. If you're a young guy starting out and you want to know how to do it from a, a radio fundamental perspective, boy, he's got to be near the top of the list. I, he he does a really really good job. Um, actually, someone someone I've admired for a long time. I think he does a really good job. Toby Rowland over at Oklahoma. I actually did a, a baseball series for Bally Sports a couple weeks ago and I got to meet him for the first time. I think, uh, I think he's a really good one um, from a mid-major perspective. One of my, one of my absolute favorites, a guy who I think is unbelievable. Tyler Merriam over at, uh, is it, he's at South, South Dakota, Dakota State. State. Right? Yeah. He, uh, I think he does a really good job with, with the way that he describes. I'm a big fan of him and, and the work that he does. Um, Jeff Colhane at North Dakota State. He's a friend of mine. He does a terrific job. Um, so those are some of the guys, you know, from a, a kind of an under the radar perspective who I think are, are solid. Um, I will say from a, a, a national perspective, I mean, there are so many good ones. One of my absolute favorites, and it's been this way for a long time, Mark Kestisher at ESPN radio. I don't know if people really appreciate just how good he is sometimes because, you know, his marquee thing is obviously doing the finals. And when the finals rolls around, People are listening to Mike Breen and, and all the tweets and all the comments and everything is about how good Mike Breen is. Do yourself a favor and tune in to Mark Kestisher calling the NBA Finals. Uh, he has been – I don't know how many he's done now. I know it's in the range of at least nine or ten, but he is as consistent as they come. He took over for Mike Tirico on, on doing the finals on radio, and, boy, he is uh, he's unbelievable. It just does such a good job. He's been a good mentor of mine as well, but – uh, big fan of the way he goes about calling a game. Um, 
one of my favorite radio guys. He's now a TV guy. He still kind of toes the line of doing TV and radio, but uh, Kevin Calabro is one of my absolute favorites too. The energy that he brings, he's one of the, he's got to be one of the best describers on radio I've ever heard. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Logan, but his, uh, the way he describes basketball, it's second to none on radio. Blazers fans still get a radio call basically on TV with the way he, he toes the line, but his, uh, his energy is contagious and, uh, yeah, big fan of, uh, the way he calls a game. So those are, uh, I'm, I'm leaving a bunch of guys out. Ed Cohen is a really good mentor of mine with the Knicks. I think he does a great job. There are too many to count, uh, but those are some of the guys. If anybody wanted to reach out to you, what would the best way to do it be? My email is always open. jbenjaminpbp at gmail.com. Reach out with anything. I get uh, critique questions from people all the time and questions on my path and stuff. Always happy to answer those. Uh, my website is my contact info, jackbenjaminbroadcaster.com. I'm on social media. You can DM me uh, at jackbenjaminpxp. I'm on Instagram as well. I don't use my Instagram a ton, but um, it's it's the same handle, at jackbenjaminpxp as well. Um, so, yeah, those are, the, those are the ways. And, look, I've had – Lord knows I've had a lot of people help out me and, and guide me on this path in a wild and crazy and unpredictable industry. And you talk about a guy who had virtually no training and had to find a way to get mentors to instruct him on how to do this. Um, I, I, I want to help out whoever I can because I've had a lot of people help out me. So, yeah, reach out, uh, reach out at any time for sure. Always happy to help the, the next generation, even people who are older than me and have a question on something i'm always trying to swap tape and that sort of thing so um yeah always happy to help once again we're visiting with jack benjamin the voice of Nichols. we'll leave the state off this time and uh uh, thanks so much for coming on today no of course logan it's been a it's been a long time coming i appreciate your uh, your patience here and i'm happy we made this happen i know that you've been through a lot over the course of the last couple of years like many have but i know it's it's been a little extra for you so um hey all the best to you and sarah and uh hey i, I i'm a huge huge fan of this podcast i've listened to it for a long time all i gotta say to people is say the damn score a little bit more thanks for listening to the say the damn score podcast remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button on the top of saythedampscore.com. Also, please follow me on your favorite social media platform, at Radio underscore Logan on Twitter is the main one in which I post on. I also have Instagram, at saythedampscore. Remember, Apple Podcast reviews are always appreciated, as is any other kind of honest feedback, emails, DMs, whatever you feel is the best for your situation. Please reach out to the guests of this show so they know that you appreciate them sharing their stories on the pod. Give them a follow on social media. As always, I'm your host, Logan Anderson, and Jack already said my tagline, so I don't really know what else to do. So just have a nice day, night, whatever you're listening. Thanks.